Harvest, Muskoka. Nice to be with you this morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um, there'll be ushers in the aisles right now, and uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love for you uh, to have one. You put your hands up high, and uh, one of the ushers will give you one, and that's essential for today, because I got nothing to say apart from God's Word, and so we're just going to be going verse by verse uh, through, the, through the Scriptures together, and again, um, it's um, a joy to be here right now uh, with you all. So I'm very thankful for this church um, I'm also very thankful for your pastor, Pastor Kai. Um, I uh, love Kai, his wife Libby, and we consider my wife Jill is here with me uh, this morning. Our two girls are here as well. Our two boys are not here. They're with grandparents. Um, but we uh, love, again, this church and just uh, what the Lord is doing through you and through the Valentines as well. I was thinking about your pastor this week and especially uh, yesterday and the phrase that uh, came to mind, which says, Kai, um, I believe Kai is just a good man. He's a good man. And sometimes when I sit there and I say, man, he's a good man, I remember when the uh, Lord Jesus, you know, he said, you know, you shall not call me good or whatever. And then, but then I was reading this morning in Acts chapter 11, I found it to be so fitting and just so of the Lord. I just wanted to share it with you. In Acts chapter 11, it's describing Barnabas. And God's word describes Barnabas that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I was like, that's Pastor Kai. Amen, church? That's your pastor, amen. Anyone clap for him, amen, amen. And not just because he's here today, all right, in the service right now, right? But um, um, I just want you to know how blessed you are and just to be able to, uh, just to, just to say that publicly and just as such a powerful thing to be able to do and to have before you under the elders and the other staff and all that stuff, but to have good men full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And that's who God uses, as we're going to see today in God's Word as well. So when you take a cup of uh, God's Word and open it to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Please, please do that. Because again, this is where we learn today. This is where we grow today. And as you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 16, I wonder if you're aware of the significance of this chapter in God's Word. The reason this chapter is so significant in God's word is because this is the first time that we are introduced in the Bible to a young man called David. And as we are introduced to David, I believe we are also introduced to one of, if not the most important themes in all of scripture. Now that's a big statement I just said. But I believe it to be so. In chapter 16, we see God's heart for our hearts. The theme of David's life, arguably over anything else, the single greatest lesson we learn from David's life, and this lesson is so important to God as well, is that David was a man after the heart of of God. David is called in scripture a man after God's own heart. And did you know he's the only one in scripture to carry that title? Now that's a very, very big deal then. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, he wrote The Pursuit of God, a passionate man after the things of the Lord. He had this phrase he delighted in. He called it this, it was the fellowship of the burning heart. The fellowship of the burning hearts. He was describing people that got together, men, women, and children that gathered in the common bond of the love and a burning heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I love about hearts that burn for the Lord? When you go 
up to them, you can literally warm yourself spiritually upon their lives. You know when you're cold, your hands are freezing, and you go up in the fire, and you're like, ah, that feels so good. When you go up to a person with a heart for the Lord, passionately in pursuit of them, you can warm your spiritual hands upon their spiritual fire. That's what A.W. Tozer was talking about. But here today is what we learn. The originator of the fellowship of the burning heart was David. David is the one man in Scripture that is defined and described in this way, a man after God's own heart. Here's what the Bible says about David in Acts chapter 13. Check the screen out right here. It says this about David. God says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And then I love the NIV translation too. It says, I have found David's son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Hey, loved ones, question, question. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? This is really the goal and the heart of this message today. Listen, listen, this posture, this passion, this principle of a heart after the Lord is the single greatest game changer in any human being who has ever lived. I mean, can't you just hear the first and greatest commandment embedded in that phrase? A man or woman after the heart of God is a man or woman, of course, loving the Lord their God all their heart and soul and mind and strength because you can't separate those things. The one fits with the other. And that's why our sermon title today then is this, the Lord looks on the heart because when he finds a heart after his, he finds a heart he will do great things with. Listen to this, loved ones. When the Lord has your heart, he has your everything. And when he has your everything, then he can use you in a powerful, powerful way. All of life ultimately is an overflow of the heart. No wonder then. What's the greatest sermon ever given? It's not this one today. I'll tell you that much, right? The greatest sermon ever given is the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus. Pretty good preacher, huh? And in the beginning of the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with the Beatitudes. And within the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall See God. Blessed are the pure in heart because these are the ones that see God. Proverbs 4 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Why, why? Because from it flow the springs of life. And Luke's gospel, Luke says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It also says in Luke's gospel, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. You hear what God's saying in his word? Hey, listen, find your treasure, find your heart. What do you treasure? That's where your heart is. Find your heart, find your treasure. Listen, listen. When you treasure the Lord, that's where your heart will be as well. When you treasure the world, your heart's off in the world. God cares so much about your heart and mine because when he has our hearts, he has our everything and that's when he does his greatest work in us as men, as women, as marriages, as families, as leaders, as elders, as pastors, as churches. And that's why then this message is getting to the heart of the matter, which I believe God has led me today to bring this to you, which I'm very humbled and thankful for. So I'm going to pray right now because apart from Christ, we can do nothing as Eric said. And right now, as I pray, don't let pastor up here just pray by himself, okay? If you're here right now and you believe already that God wants to speak to you, ask him to. Ask the Lord right now, God, would you speak to my heart? Would you give me truth that I need to hear today for my heart? And then with faith, believe that he would do that. So I'm gonna pray right now, and I pray that you would uh, join me 
um, as I do that. So Father, I do ask in all sincerity, in all humility, I pray, um, that we would ask that you would move in our hearts, you would speak to us now, that you would reveal to us your will for our lives through your word. Thank you for this church, what you are doing here. Thank you for the hearts that have gathered here, Lord, these uh, beautiful saints in Jesus Christ that you have made. But I pray, Lord, you will call us now to deeper things that we have sung and you will encourage us mightily with your word on this issue of the heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our passage today is the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel 16, which is really the calling of David. I want to start by reading verse 1 as it's going to give us our introduction and build our context. So look at chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have, this is a great phrase, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Again, here's a chance to build our context. Some of us are opening up 1 Samuel 16 and we don't really know where we are in God's word. Well, let's get on the same page together then. Israel up until this point had been judged by judges. They had been led by judges. Samuel was the last of the judges. And the reason the judges ended is because God's people, what happened, be very careful in this world, okay? God's people looked around them to the other nations and they're like, wait, we don't have a king. We don't have a physical king. In fact, they had a heavenly king, but what they really wanted is to be like the world around them. And so they saw the nations around them with actual physical human kings, and they're like, God, we want to be like those people. We want to be like the nations around us. First point of application, be very, very careful that you don't start comparing yourself with the world and wanting what the world has, which in the end is just foolishness. And as you want what the world has, you are actually rejecting the Lord. See, the moment God's people ask for a physical king, they are actually rejecting God himself. See, how do we know? First Samuel chapter 8, God says, Hey, Samuel, they're not rejecting you as king. They're rejecting me, God says, as king. And so this is the process of when Saul was chosen and made their king. But notice the wickedness of the human heart. What did they do? They were trading the invisible God for visible men. Let's see. God, man, God, man, God. Oh, it's a bad trade. But the heart's so wicked, they wanted what they could see. They wanted what they, they, wanted what they thought was right. But in the end, it was so wrong. And so what does God do? Well, God doesn't strike them with lightning. God doesn't send fire down upon them. Even worse, you know what God does? He gives them what they want. Do you know the greatest judgment we could ever have is if God just opened up everything and just gave us everything we wanted? Do you know all the prayer requests that you want answered? If we got every prayer request answered according to our desires, do you know your life would be a disaster? Do you realize that? What are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? Pray about it. No, no, no. If we got everything we wanted, our lives would be a disaster. This church wouldn't even be here. Why? Because we don't know what we want. 
We think we know. We think we know what's best. But the ways of God are not the ways of man. And we're not that smart. Last time I checked, God is. All right? Loved ones, remember that. When you want things, you don't always know the best thing for you. That's why the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. So the greatest judgment we could ever get is God says, you get everything you want. Fine, I'll step aside. Get everything you ask for. It all goes downhill from there. And that's what he did with Saul. Fine, you want a king? Fine, have it, have it your way. And Saul had a decent start, but he had a horrible finish. That got to the point where God said about Saul, I'm done with him, he's done, now I'm going to provide for myself a king, a man after my own heart. So what do we see? Saul rejected, David is raised up. Here's what we see, again, application principle. Ready? The ways of God are not the ways of man. Do you realize that? The ways of God are not the ways of man. How does that apply to us? It applies to us like this sometimes. We stand before God and we have our map for life. There's point A and there's point B. Here we are in point A in our lives now. Point B is glory. And we say, God, here's my map of what I want my life to look like. A, B, and I want a smooth road. I want a straight road. No ups, no downs, no twists, no turns, no road bumps, no obstacles. God, I want my map to look as I want it to look, and I want you, God, to bless my map. A, B. True, 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 true. I say I speak truth to you today. Well, God says, he says, well, it's not exactly going to go that way. He's like, yeah, there's A where you are now, and there's B glory. As my child, you will get there. But along the way, there might be a few turns, and there's going to be some bumps, and there's going to be some trials, and there's going to be some crises, and there's going to be, again, some ups and some twists and turns and obstacles and speed bumps and some potholes and some valleys, and there's going to be some things you weren't expecting. But we'll get there. It just won't be the way that you thought it would be because God is smart and we are sheep, and sheep are dumb. Yes, yes, yes. No offense, no offense, but I'm the first in line for that one right there. But loved ones, listen, a massive point of Christian maturity embedded within Saul's rejection and David's uplifting is knowing this. A massive point of Christian maturity is understanding God just does things different than we would do. The quicker you understand that in the Christian life, the more able you are to surrender when things do not go the way you planned and to trust that God is sitting on the throne, not biting his nails, not pacing nervously, but reigning with his feet up and he loves you so much that he has your life under control. That's a powerful, powerful point of the mature Christian life, which is found in Israel's desire, Saul, God's desire, David. And what God finds in David, he finds a heart that is longing for his own. And when God finds a heart that is longing for his own, that is the heart that will be so wonderfully used. And do you know God's searching for those hearts all the time? Do you know God is searching across this room for these hearts right now? Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 on the screen for you. Many of you will know this verse. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth. It's pretty exciting. He wants to support who? He wants to support whose hearts are blameless towards him. And this is what he finds in David. Lord, find it in us. Oh, is there ever a time more? Loved ones, have you looked around and seen how messed up this world is? Turkey, Brexit, 
southern states, Orlando, whatever, just the whole world. Everything's kind of falling apart and together. Listen, there's never been a more clear time in my eyes to live for Jesus Christ. Live for the one who counts. Live for the one who can't lose. Live for the one who matters. Live for the one who's glorious. Live for the one who will keep you safe forever and ever. Amen. The one who is just so great and awesome. The one who searches for hearts who are blameless towards him. This is David, and I pray this is us. So what does God do with a heart like this? This now is our outline, simple, but I pray helpful and encouraging. Number one is this. The Lord will do with this heart. This is the heart. This is the heart that will be set apart. And the Lord finds a heart after his own. Look at verse one again. So the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king. But notice, here's God's plan. But Samuel, fill your home with oil. Go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears me, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint me, uh, you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. I think the most powerful phrase in those first verses is found in verse one where God says, I have provided for myself a king. Now notice this here too, okay? Great principle of truth. Saul's rejected, but God's plan now is in place, right? Some of God's people are like, oh no, Saul, Saul, he's gone. And what are we gonna do now? And you don't think God can take good care of that? Here's the principle of truth. God will never allow his work to die by the death or the failure of any one man. If it's truly of God's work, it will carry on. Saul goes, but God has his plan. David's about to be raised up. Loved ones, that's why pastors come and go. This is why leaders come and go. That's why elders come and go. That's why churches come and go. That's why denominations come and go. Because it's not dependent upon any one individual or any one church or any one denomination. I mean, how old is this church, Harvest Muskoka? Is it, is it a decade? Is it a decade? Not even a decade yet. Okay, a decade. You weren't here a decade ago. But now look at you. That's awesome. What did God do? He found faithful people he would work within and multiplies. But here's the reality. The moment you cease to be faithful to the Lord, the Lord says in Revelation, lampstand here, gone, lampstand here. It's not about harvest. It's about the kingdom of the Lord and the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he's building. Listen, listen, all that to say, do not put your trust in man. You can follow men as they follow the Lord. I love what Tozer said. Listen to the man who listens to God. Follow the man with oil on his forehead. That is so beautiful. As Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But loved ones, do not put your trust in a single individual. Put your trust in the Lord. Because man will always let you down, but God will never, ever let you down. So I say to my church, man, back in Oakland, I say, listen, do not trust in me. Trust in the Lord and we follow him together. That's the power of understanding what's happening as hearts are set upon the Lord and learning what God is doing right here within this text. Saul is gone, but David is being raised up. Listen, listen, one thing happens that's so discouraging, but God, God is in control. God is the one. God will see it through. 
Notice also that Samuel is commanded to go to whose house again? Whose house? The house of Jesse, okay? Now, now, that's significant because the son of Jesse is going to be David, but there's more happening here, which I just can't resist to show you because I love biblical theology. Maybe you see it already. I want us to see it together. The moment God says, go to the house of Jesse, yes, David, but there's something greater happening than David right there. It reminds me of Isaiah 11, verse 1. It says, from the stump of Jesse will come forth a shoot. Seen a stump? Of course you've seen a stump, right? Lots of stumps. Ever seen a stump with a shoot? And you see a shoot that's shooting up a branch. And if you give that shoot or branch enough time, it will flourish into its own very awesome and even more glorious tree than the original stump was whenever it was. And you see that from the stump of Jesse will come forth a shoot. That shoot is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. So here's what I love in biblical theology. The moment God says, go to the house of Jesse, yes, there's David, and David is a great example, but greater than that is the ultimate sovereign plan of our infinite God, outworking a plan for David's life, but more important for that, God is outworking his plan for the salvation of the entire world through his son, Jesus Christ, who will come as the shoot from the stump of Jesse. What's my point in that? Here's my point. So often in our lives, it's okay to focus on David and we focus on ourselves and we're like, me, 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 me. And we look at our lives and we often can navel gaze and we're tempted. It's not always a bad thing, but if all we do is look at our own lives, our own little home, our own little patch of grass, our own little direction and path, and we never look around us, we never understand there's something so much greater happening beyond. If all we're focused on is my will at this hour, at this time, as it affects me, then our vision is much too narrow, much too limited. See what God's doing? He's working in David's life, but he's also working at the dimension that is so grand, his plan to save the world is also within this command for Samuel to go to Jesse's house. Does Samuel see that? Probably not this way. Does David see that? Not yet, but God does. Loved ones, don't let your life be one-dimensional. God is working on infinite dimensions. And the more we see the greatness and the majesty of our God, the more we are filled with faith and the more we are humbled because we are so small, but the more we sense, wow, this life isn't all there is. There's this thing called glory coming and I am living for him. And what this does, it takes your heart and makes it more in pursuit of God's will and God's glory because you are aware of how great and awesome he really is. And you become less as Jesus Christ becomes more. Another point of maturity in the Christian life I wish way, way many more believers would see, understand, and live. And it's all here embedded within our amazing passage. And back to our text here. Notice the Lord has provided for himself a king. And he says to Samuel in verse 3, And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So now if we do focus on David's part in this, you know what I love about this scene? Okay, Samuel, take the oil. You're going to anoint one of, one of Jesse's sons to be king. What I love about this scene, David is in the shepherd's field. He has no clue what is coming. He has no clue, yet he's already been chosen. Isn't that awesome? He has no idea, yet he's already been set apart by God because his heart has been found as one that is after the heart of God. What do we learn here? Loved ones, when you least expect it, you're being examined. 
When you least expect it, you're being scrutinized in your life. God is trying to figure out, who can I entrust with more? Who can I entrust with more of myself to be used to see other people brought to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's awesome. And here's David just out in the shepherd's field by himself, already been set apart and chosen for great things in the Lord. David was a little teenager, yet the anointing oil was already on its way. That is awesome. When God chooses to exalt someone, nothing will stop him. 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. At the proper time, he will exalt you. You be found faithful where you are, your heart serving the Lord. And when God chooses to exalt you, he will guarantee that to happen. Amazing how God worked. Just before we move on from point one, I just got to mention this for moms that are here today or women who have a motherly role or women who desire to be a mom one day. Did you know that David uh, in scripture never mentions his dad once? Like we know it's Jesse obviously here, but David never mentions his dad once. But in the Psalms, twice David refers to his mom as a maidservant of the Lord. Now we can't read too much into that, but we can read something into that. When David is in the field as a shepherd, someone is nurturing his heart. And Jesse is not reflected upon greatly in this text as he doesn't even count David worthy of showing up to the party as we'll see in a few minutes. But the fact that David refers to his mom twice, that says to me that David and his mom had a very special relationship. And David's mom guiding and nurturing the heart of David after the Lord God Almighty Hey, mom's in the room. Can you ever overestimate the role and the power that you have in your life with the children or the people, whoever they are, entrusted to your care and the ability to shape a heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there any greater calling, women? Is there any greater calling, really, in the scheme of life and all of eternity? You can do all these other things. You can work, you can do all this stuff. You can create all these accomplishments in the world, but to take the heart of a young child and to pray them in the direction of the Lord, now that is the stuff that is worth immeasurable value. And moms, you're, there's some stuff for dads coming too, but moms, ladies, mother type roles, what a brilliant and beautiful understanding at how David would be used and the role of his mom in his life. Just had to share that, all right? Because I wanted to encourage you today and I pray that it did as well, an insight that blessed me so much as I consider my mom and my wife and my life. Lord, would you use that? The heart that loves the Lord with all their heart is a heart that will be set apart. And then number two is this. This is the heart that will be found. So God will set apart this heart, and at the proper time, this heart will be found by the Lord. Look at verse four now as we continue on. Verse four. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Now, the reason the elders were trembling was probably because Saul's leadership was leaking down amongst the people. They were so, Saul was so insecure. The people were like, oh, Samuel's gone. Are we in trouble? Are we gonna be killed? Samuel's like, relax, relax, I come in peace. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, okay? 
okay? In verse 5, and he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, When they came, he looked on Eliab, the oldest, and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, This verse here needs to be underlined, highlighted, do something to it to make sure you know it's there, okay? This is the whole point of the passage right here. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What does that verse do? It reveals so much of God's heart for our hearts. The elders tremble. Samuel says, relax. And then he calls forth the sons of Jesse. Notice first, the eldest son comes, Eliab. And notice in verse 6 that Samuel was very impressed by the appearance of Eliab to the point that Samuel says to himself, here's the guy, man, this is the guy. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. This is why I have come. It's this guy right here. He looks the part. He seems to be the part. He must be set apart by the Lord. But notice here, Samuel and all his wisdom, his experience, and all his years, he still didn't fully understand. So what does God do? The Lord pulls Samuel aside and even teaches Samuel a massive lesson, and that's verse 7. He says, Samuel, man looks on the outside. I look at the heart. Literally, that phrase, man looks on the outward appearance, literally, that is man looks at the face. Isn't that our world described to a T? Obsessed with external appearance and external beauty. But the Lord is obsessed with the internal beauty and the heart of the individual. So that's why Eliab comes first, eldest brother, second eldest, Abinadab, third eldest, Shammah comes up, and four other brothers pass by. And God's like, nope, 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 nope. And why does God say no? because he sees their hearts. Here's a principle from A.W. Pink on this point right here. A.W. Pink says, God ignores, look at this, look at this, it's so important. God ignores that in which the flesh glories. Wisdom time, loved ones, wisdom time right now. Live with wisdom. God ignores that in which the flesh glories. So this is what wisdom says here. Wisdom says, If we build our lives on that which the flesh glories, we are actually building our lives on that which God will in the end ignore. Let me just speak to you one-to-one right now. Just me, you, here we are. What would your life be characterized as now as your passion? What do you think about the most? What do you spend the most time doing? Where would your money go towards the most? What do you really want in this life? Let me ask you this. Is it of the flesh or is it of the Lord? Wisdom, loved ones. Do you know how much this saddens me? And I have to fight this battle every single day I live. But how many believers will show up before the Lord in the judgment that believers go through, 2 Corinthians 5, and they will have to give an account of what they've done with what God has given to them You know how many believers will take their chips and try to cash it in? And God will be like, all those chips are worth nothing. Wood, hay, and stubble burned in the fire because it's been of the flesh. God ignores that 
which is of the flesh. Wisdom says, I build my life on that which God values. The greatest thing God values is a heart set upon him. Because in the end, again, that's all that matters. And specifically in our text, we're led to this, to this phrase about the outward appearance of man. I wonder in our society if there's any greater form of idolatry than the appearance of individuals. Just think of our celebrity world. Think of all that we have in our televisions. Think of all the obsession Think of all the might, think of all the interest and in how we look. You know, I, I long to pull aside the young woman here today, particularly, and to beg you and to plead with you is it possible that young woman, you could believe today that your value and your identity is not rooted in how you look externally? Is it possible, young woman, I could pull you aside and talk to you today and plead with you to believe that the greatest value and identity you could ever have is rooted in the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, young woman, what would it take for you to believe that and actually let it change your life and change your thoughts and change your pursuits and change the peer pressure you are under to believe that the greatest thing you will ever present in this life is a heart that is set apart the Lord. Don't misunderstand me. I am not against taking care of ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that unless it replaces the greatest pursuit we are called to have, the heart that loves the Lord. And could I take me to pull aside today the, the man, often in my kind of age of life, that kind of middle age pattern, when all of a sudden we realize I'm not getting any younger. Amen? Amen? And the body starts to hurt a little bit more, and we start to get a little bit insecure where we are and start looking ahead, and the temptation is faster car, bigger house. Better this, better that. Some men go out, try to get a new girl on their arm to improve their security. It's crazy. It's madness. It's sinful. Could I take you aside today and plead with you, obviously everyone in this room, but particularly a man in this situation, and plead with you to believe that the greatest value and identity you have and the greatest purpose of your life is an authentic, sincere, humble, hunger-filled pursuit of the Lord because the Lord looks on the heart. And what is the heart of man but the character that he or she demonstrates? That's why, hey, the, the church I'm a part of, just, just give, me a, give me an elder with a heart after the Lord and I don't need much else. Give me a staff member with a heart after the Lord, like with a desire for humility and, and a passion for Jesus Christ. I mean, give me children in our church with hearts after the Lord. And I just, I just, I like where we're going. Give me friends and a family. Give me people that surround me with a genuine heart for the Lord. And guess what? I like our chances. I like our chance because everything I'm seeing here in the Word, everything I see throughout the Word, again, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. I like our chances. Surround me with people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will surround me with people that God is powerfully working with him. You know what? Really that, that whole desire that really summarizes the church I'm a part of, I pray. And I, I pray it summarizes this church here today. That you believe you put all your eggs, eggs in, the, in, the, in the basket of Jesus Christ and you're going to be in a very, very good place. Because the value of the heart is just immense. It's, it's character. It's character. It's character. And man, this is why possibly the greatest legacy you will ever leave, more than business, more than any kind of income you can earn, 
more than accomplishment, the greatest legacy you will leave for those who follow after you is your integrity of heart before the Lord. It's the most powerful thing you can leave in this life. Where are we at with that right now? Men, men, the power of leadership in the home, of integrity of heart before the Lord. And right here, what I want to do is I want to break down some of the verses we have seen and some we have not seen yet. And I just want us to examine David's heart. I want us to um, apply four principles here of how David's heart was set upon the Lord. I have four principles and four Fs, okay? I want us to see David and then apply it to our lives right here. Notice this with David, his faithfulness of his heart to the Lord. Number one, notice this. David was faithful in his field. He was faithful in his field. So the whole time Samuel's there and all the brothers and Jesse, the whole time this is happening, David is oblivious to this. He's oblivious. But he's being prepared for greatness at the same time. His time in his field. So David's in the, why is David in the shepherd's field? Because he's doing the job no one else wanted to do. But he's doing the job that God would have him do. He was faithful. He was faithful in the field. David literally was faithful in the shepherd's field. Let me ask you, what's your field? Where's your field right now? Second question, are you being found faithful in it? For some of you, it's your home. For some of you, it's your work. For some of you, it's your neighborhood. For some of you, it's the family that you are. For some of you, it's your church, your ministry. We all have a field, loved ones. God is asking us to be faithful where we are today. You know, for me, one of the great challenges of my early ministry, I was a youth pastor many years ago. And as a youth pastor, I found myself in this church. We're not really sure how my wife and I kind of got there. There was like 10 kids when I got to the youth ministry. One of them was saved, I think. Nine of them were acting like they weren't saved at all, okay? And I quickly found out that being a youth pastor at this church meant that they, some kids would show up on the Friday night and then the parents wouldn't come and pick them up. And I was left to just drive them all over the city and be a chauffeur. And let me tell you, they weren't like thankful kids. They seemed like brats to me, you know? Can I say that? You know, just like, just like I want this, I want that, I want that. And I found myself driving all over the city and just spending all this time, I remember being with Jill and being so frustrated and discouraged and being like, what am I doing here? This isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. I mean, how can I, how long can I last? And I can literally, I can, I can bring you to the intersection in Mississauga, Bloor and Cothra, just west of Cothra, just past the light, about 10 p.m. at night, totally exhausted, totally discouraged, totally disillusioned. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment as I complained to him, not audibly, but in my heart, so powerfully, and one of the ways that he's really done before or after. And he said to me this, again, in my heart, he said, Robbie, faithful with little, faithful with much. bring you to the point, just past that intersection. I can see it in my mind right now when that happened. And being so clear, Robbie, will you be faithful with what I've entrusted you with today? And then will you trust me with what will come tomorrow? I firmly believe unless the Lord finds us faithful in our field, then the things we actually want in the future, they will not come until we pass the test where we are. Are we faithful in the small it says so much about character. Men, women, children here today, listen. So much of your character is proven in your faithfulness in the details of life. 
in the small things, in the fields that we are a part of. David was also this. David was faithful in the familiar. And being a shepherd, wouldn't you agree? Being a shepherd is pretty boring. I mean, most days you're sitting there, you're watching these sheep, dumb sheep, right? And you're there and you're just kind of going through the motions. And then, but wouldn't it happen that God wastes nothing, that in the midst of all the mundane, in the midst of all the boring, all of a sudden one day a line would show up and David, filled with the faith of his God, would be raised up and defeat that line. And one other day a bear shows up and David protecting his sheep, he would fight this bear and kill this bear. And let me just see within the familiar and the mundane and the boring, these events occur. And all of a sudden David is prepared for situations like, let's see, uh, oh yeah, like Goliath, right? Remember he's appealing to Saul. He's like, no, no, I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. This guy's nothing. Notice in the familiar, God is doing some of his greatest work to prepare David for what's to come. See, what happens is, and young people in our day, especially young men who want to go into the ministry, they're like, I want greatness, I want greatness, I want greatness. Well, well, if you want to be used in greatness, there's this thing called preparation that must take place, and it's going to take you becoming less so that Jesus Christ can be more. No, 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 I want greatness. I want it today. Well, well, okay, you can try to get it today, but I suggest you get low, serve where you are, stay humble, keep your mouth shut, be patient, wait for No, I want it now. I want it now. Okay, okay, you can have it now. And then sure enough, you kind of walk down the road and you see them lying in the ditch in the gutter going, ah, like this, right? Because they haven't trusted the ways of God. They want it themselves. No one is exempt from going through the school of ministry of learning. It's not about them. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faithfulness in the familiar, our faithfulness in the field is the proving and testing ground for the fantastic things that are to come. That's for someone here today for sure. Apply it to your life and take it as the voice of God speaking to you because he loves you so much. David was also this. He was faithful when he was forgotten. Now, this blows me away. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, it says this. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Helps you see how Jesse viewed David. Samuel said to Jesse, get him, get him. We will not sit down until he comes here. That is a great verse. Now, this is remarkable to me. Jesse is commanded to get all his sons and he gathers them all except for David. Kind of like gathering for a family photo, but leaving out the youngest. Hey, it's kind of a family photo. Hey, is everyone here? No, it doesn't matter though. He's not really part of our family. I mean, it's kind of like that. Can you get all your sons? Yep, got them all. All eight of them? No, seven, but we got them all. Like, poor David, man. What's he thinking? How's he feeling? He is completely forgotten. Two quick parenting tips from Jesse right here. Okay, okay. I just can't resist this either. Two quick parenting tips. Jesse, and this is kind of serious. Well, it's very serious. Jesse did not foster equal appreciation among his children. Jesse didn't even count David worthy of showing up to the party. And David would be the one to be the next king of Israel and one of the greatest men in scripture. Did Jesse blow that one? Ah, uh, yeah. Man looks on the parents. Don't write any of your children off. And I have four kids and I know the temptation at times to, to elevate one after another because they are suiting our preferences and desires. This is a terrible you have no idea who is around teachers that are here, Harvest Kids teachers that are here. I mean, just, you have no idea who the Davids are uh, in your group, in your home, and the faith to see David would be raised up to be someone so powerful and so special. But Jesse was like, ah, he's tending the sheep. Fail. And the second thing Jesse failed to do 
A.C. did not foster mutual appreciation among his children. The older boys thought Dave was a punk. We learned that in chapter 16 and elsewhere. They just ridiculed him. They, did, they almost despised him. And so that was a big fail there as well. Little parenting tips for you. Let's not do that. All right? That'd be good. But notice this. Notice this. David faithful when forgotten. He was overlooked. He was literally forgotten. How are you and I when we are forgotten? How do you respond when you are not noticed? How do you respond when you miss the opportunity you thought you deserved? Isn't that such a critical point of our character being tested and what we do with that? Will we be faithful when we are forgotten, passed over, or overlooked? Again, a massive point of maturity is trusting in the Lord when we feel like we've been forgotten. So faithful in the field, faithful in the familiar, faithful and forgotten. And then David was this. He was faithful in the future. You know what's amazing about this scene? David shows up. He's anointed as the future king. And then what does he do next? Well, you think he'd rush to the palace and set up kind of office, right? No. Scholars estimate David was between 10 and 15 years old. What does David do? He goes back to what he's called to do. A shepherd in the shepherd's field. I mean, how, how, much, how much maturity as a man of that age does that take? So if I'm David, okay, my temptation, I'm anointed king in front of all my older brothers who kind of disregard me and my dad doesn't give me any credit. I would be tempted to rise up after being anointed as the king and be like, hey, Eliab, in your face, man, in your face. And I'm going to be the king just kind of flaunted a bit, sort of walking around and I'm going to be the king. But he just, there's, there's no sign of that. There's no sign of that in scripture. David is anointed as king, and he returns to his field. Why, why? Because he's a man after the heart of God. And this is the heart the Lord is searching for. A heart that we set apart, a heart that is found. And thirdly, finally, and briefly, this is the heart that will be used. This is the heart that will be used. Look now at verse 12. In verse 12 it says, and he sent and brought him. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. What a moment. Live in the text. Live in the text. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Again, a 10 to 15-year-old anointed by Samuel as the next king. David lived in Bethlehem of all places, seemingly an insignificant town, a nobody, but this nobody in David will be anointed on this day by the Lord in front of his brothers. It was this nobody the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon from this day forward. The historian Josephus Josephus writes, we don't know if this is true or not, but Josephus writes, as Samuel anointed David with oil, he whispered in his ear, you are to be the future king of Israel. Whether that happened in that way, we can't fully be sure. But just to think about it and how amazing that is, David to be set apart and then be used for all that would come for him and what we take away from that. You know, we are hearing about this heart that will be set apart and found and used for the Lord and a heart longing 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have to end here to make sure this is crystal clear. The only reason this is even possible to have a heart filled with this kind of love for the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way this is even possible is because just like David, there was another boy born in Bethlehem who would also be a shepherd, but he would be called the good shepherd. And this boy would also come from the root of David and the root of Jesse. This boy would also be anointed by the Holy Spirit and set apart. And he would also be a king, but he would be called the king of kings. And all who look to him with faith would find life forever and would never die. His name, loved ones, of course, is Jesus Christ. The only possible way you and I can live in this way with a heart longing for the Lord is if our hearts first are set upon the life and the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to see this. At the end of the day, David is a wonderful example. But at the end of the day, David's life is a type of Christ. David is foreshadowing the life of Jesus Christ. So all of David's life ultimately points to Jesus Christ where life is truly found. David by himself is nothing. David with his God and pointing to Jesus Christ, now he becomes something. You and I are the exact same way. In ourselves, we are nothing. We are dead. In Jesus Christ, we become alive. In Jesus Christ, the possibilities are endless. The single greatest factor in having a heart set apart the Lord, set apart on the Lord and for the Lord, is that we fill our lives with Jesus Christ. I implore you today, I call out to you today, you fill your glass with Jesus Christ. And this is where life begins to truly be lived. Turning from sin and embracing by faith forgiveness of these sins and becoming a new creation because of what Jesus Christ has done. This was David's secret. And this is supposed to be ours as well. Everything begins and ends with Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen, church? Amen. Oh, may it be so. May it be so. Let's pray. Let's pray. So Father, as we begin today, I pray right now, every person in their own way somehow is taking their heart and setting it before the Lord today. Loved ones, I just encourage you to do that. Take your heart, give it to the Lord. Where have you been? Where are you? And where do you desire to be as it relates to your heart? Oh God, I pray just like David that your plan was in place and you raised him up to lead in such a powerful way. He wasn't perfect, Lord, but he was so powerfully used. I pray men and women in this room right now, you'd be raising up. You'd be setting apart. You'd be filling with an unusual and awesome passion and love for your purposes. Oh God, would you do so? And help us now even to respond with great humility and love pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.